0: Hi everyone, welcome to the new episode of Nepalese in Tech podcast. Today we have Ankur here with us. Uh, very excited to hear about his experience transitioning into tech. Uh, do you want to start by introducing yourself?
1: Sure, sure. So, um, hello and namaste to all of your listeners. My name is uh, Ankur Pandit. I um, am a Nepalese Canadian professional working out of Toronto, Canada. And I work in the uh, technology industry. In particular, I work in AI and ML. So I work for a company called Alta ML. Um, in a nutshell, we're a developer of machine learning software. We work uh, primarily with large organizations <laughs> who want to use. Data-driven tools to, to do things like finding operational efficiencies, reducing risk, uh, generating new sources of revenue. We really have two sides of our business. One side almost acts as um, an enterprise solution as a service arm, where we're working with organizations, primarily enterprise organizations and governments, to identify problems that can be solved by AI, um, ideate on the, the the I guess the best use cases to tackle understand feasibility, and take a use case all the way from ideation through to experimentation all the way to deployment. Um, For some of those use cases, we we recognize that there's actually value beyond that initial use case, and there might be an actual product um, where it's a problem for more than just one enterprise organization, but for a larger swath of the industry. And for those, we have a different side of the business called our uh, scale side of the business, and that's all focused on scaling out new ventures. So really, it's that almost enterprise consulting side type of the business and that scale side of the business. Um, so I've been there for a couple of years, and currently I work there in business development.
0: Really interesting. You sound really passionate about it.
1: Yeah, no, it's 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 super cool, and I, and I kind of fell into this. Like, I don't have, as you probably noticed on my LinkedIn, I don't really have a, a typical technical background. Uh, I actually came at it from a different angle. Um, and so it's been a really interesting journey for me. It's been two and a half years, and this is, the third position that i've
0: been at here nice so that is something that i wanted to talk about you mentioned right uh you say a business background so mm-hmm. tell us about how that transition came about
1: yeah yeah for sure so 2020 mo marketing company in Company say Critical Mass. oh basically, just uh, brand strategy, advertising, um, marketing analytics. This, is to come. March twenty twenty. Ma, mo company contractor. and around that time, basically, they're like, Hey, we like you on but we we can't keep contractors, right? So basically, what I did from there was um, I moved back home with my parents. I was trying to figure out what to do, and I reached out to an old professor to catch up. Let's have coffee. Let's catch up. And he was like, hey, uncle, I need um, research assistance. Do you want to be a research assistant for me? So um, I went to the University of Alberta. So I grew up in, in Alberta, Canada. And so uh, my professor at the time, uh, Vern Glaser, it was a research assistant for him. And him and his PhD students, one of his PhD students was researching the history of data science. Okay. And yeah, so they were doing some research about the communities and of practice that were forming around uh, software languages such as Python and R and what have you. And as I was doing that research, uh, I was reading a lot about um, the requirement for folks who were strong communicators, good writers, uh, folks with the humanities background, folks with the business background, to kind of supplement a lot of the data scientists that were coming in. So there were a lot of conversations on Responsible AI saying things like, okay, we have um these tools that are being used and being built, these algorithms that are being used and being built by data scientists and machine learning uh, developers and what have you, but do we have folks on the the project management side? Do we have folks on the business analysis side? Do we have folks analyzing the ethical context of all this? Mm -hmm. So I was reading about that sort of literature and I realized, okay, I want to be in this space. I want to position myself in this space. So when I first got at AltML, I I had a friend of mine who was working there um, and he mentioned that they had an opening for a grant coordinator. Right, to write grants and proposals. So I started off writing grants and proposals to the federal government, to different governments to try to get us non-dilutive funding. So that's funding that's non-equity-based, right? From there, basically, I was able to, you know, build a good reputation in the company. And they said, hey, Uncle, like, um, where do you see your career going here? And uh, I was, like, I really love the company. I think we have a phenomenal culture. We have a, we're a fast-growing company, fast-growing team. But uh, for me, I was very much thinking, hey, I kind of want to go more towards the delivery route. I want to go more towards how our projects actually get built. So I wanted to understand um, how to work with data scientists, how to work with clients, how to actually manage projects from what the early stages of, let's say, ideation or uh, feas- feasibility all the way through to experimentation, development, and eventually deployment so that we have an AI solution that's embedded in one of our clients' environments and adding value. And so that's what I did for a year. So uh, 2022, basically, I spent that year doing project delivery, which is a combination of what I would say, three things. Client relationship management, so managing the relationship with that client. account. It was team management, so you have a team of data scientists, software developers, uh, product owners who are kind of understanding the the business context of the, of the machine learning solution and managing that entire team, and then traditional project management, so your resources, your budget, and all that. And so for myself, that was just a fascinating interplay to understand, okay, once the baton gets tossed to you, so once we sign a project, it's your responsibility now to help work with your team, as well as the client's team, to align on expectations, set out a scope of what you want to deliver, and then go deliver, right? Um, So really good education in that. Um, From there, basically, uh, what ended up happening was I uh, was moved to Toronto. So I was in Edmonton over in Alberta, moved to Toronto. And once I got over here, there was a huge opportunity, especially in this market, to help us grow. So Ironically, Toronto is the biggest city in Canada. We're the largest economic market in Canada. But our company is headquartered out in Alberta, and most of our operations have been, thus far, had been very uh, Alberta, the province-driven. So there's this huge economic opportunity for us to capture here. And so I was lucky enough to kind of have those discussions with exec, and they were saying, hey, would you would you be open to a position in business development to start identifying net new clients and bring in net new clients into the company who... Who might want to look at um, experimenting, working with us to, I don't know, find new AI solutions or working with us to maybe supplement their teams because they have a huge backlog that they're they're not getting to. And so that's kind of how I got to
0: there. Very interesting. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah, no worries. So kind of following up on that, I do have a question. So what were the challenges that you faced when you were moving from more like business side of things to tech side of things? was there any knowledge gap or how did you deal with those?
1: Yeah, there definitely was. So I think it's interesting, like growing up in a, in a Nepalese household, I was just kind of like, you know, as you can likely know, it was very much like, uh, doctor born, neo ki, engineer born, neo ki, it was like, or lawyer born neo. I was like pretty much that, or accountant, Saturday yes. yep. Okay. And like, for me, I knew from a pretty young age that I didn't fit into that archetype. Mm -hmm. I grew up like I was born in Nepal, but I was raised here. So I grew up very comfortable with I was more of a writer, I was more into kind of like uh, social studies. So I think I've gravitated more towards economics and business and, and subjects like this. And so for me, coming into a data science background, at first, I was a little bit nervous, because you know, I didn't have, let's say, the formal machine learning training. But I think for me, what I had to do was a lot of self study. So I was taking Udemy courses to try to understand um, the different metrics, the different types of um, machine learning techniques that could be used, the relative uh, business implications of those machine learning techniques. I think another thing that I did a lot of was just going out for coffees with my uh, developers. And they were, you know, to to their credit, they were quite patient with me in explaining certain concepts. So it was a combination of self-study, a combination of as, as I was writing these grants, through the process of writing the grants, I actually gained a decent amount of knowledge and how things were going. And then I think just a lot of exposure, right? I think my knowledge of, of uh, machine learning and machine learning project life cycles increased dramatically as I was exposed to more projects, to the point where I would say in the last quarter that I was a project delivery manager when I was talking to clients about, hey, like, here are some of the things that could prolong timelines or here are some of the challenges that we may see at this phase. It was coming from a, a place of experience. And that was just from kind of being exposed to more projects and, and having more of those discussions. You start <laughs> picking things up. So, combination of the conversations with, <laughs> the <self-study, laughs> with the cases. Sorry, I don't think I can hear you.
0: No, it's okay. I was talking with someone else in the room. <laughs>
1: okay, cool. No worries.
0: You're yeah. saying? Yeah, that, that was... Uh, so, I think one of the key messages to hear is like, take my to Technical background, I want a yeah. Like I see people from China. biology and so, yeah, business marketing by so I think that is something really cool. We
1: have. the uh, like mm. new so, for example, my two thousand and twenty one ma yura sati singkawon biology background and this was two year after you're would data analytics job she was interested in a data analytics job so my son like what was your what was your experience and she, she said things like oh my, my, lab my, my, um philanthropic fundraising um and i was like right there lab detail oriented you are technical you have uh, analysis experiment analysis skills your philanthropic job, time you learned how to negotiate with stakeholders. You know how to communicate. You learned how to raise money. These are all skill sets that are transferable. So it's like maybe direct tech experience. China that if you have other things that are, let's say, for example, academic research background combined with, let's say, you worked for a nonprofit or you worked here, you can tell that story. Okay, because it's all about um, the skills you had and how you garnered them versus having the the direct checkboxes. Because a lot of people don't have the direct checkboxes these days. Mm-hmm. It's very, um, how do I put this? It's very varied.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's going to be an inspiration for a lot of our followers too. Like Even though if you are in tech or if you are not in tech, you can still transition to data analytics. And like the key mm-hmm. skills that you need is actually of communicating then of technical skills. So that's a great mm-hmm. message. Thank you for sharing that.
1: Yeah, no worries, no worries.
0: So I do want to talk about your business-related experience, right? I saw on LinkedIn that you participated in a lot of case competitions when you were in college. How did that help you in your career, learning more about business and things like that?
1: Yeah, it's a good question. So what I would say is when I think about my undergraduate degree, there's probably a handful of classes that were overtly, like, were highly meaningful, but for the most part, a lot of the classes have kind of just melted into the background. So apologies to my my professors, <laughs> but there's <was> a couple <laughs> of professors who stood up, but it wasn't really the classes. What I think I really took away from it was, you know, the ability to manage one's schedule and manage one's life as an adult was huge. And the different extracurricular opportunities that I had while I was in school, be that Uh, you know, through clubs, be that through uh, internships or work experience, and then be that through, I would say, the case competitions I did. And so um, in terms of case competitions for maybe some of your listeners who don't really know what they are, uh, the brief context I would give is you're given some sort of business case study. It could be, you know, sometimes a couple of pages, sometimes up to some of these are 15, 20 pages long. You're given a pre allotted period of time, usually between, Three hours at the least. To I've I've been in some that were up to twenty four hours. Or uh, and what you have to do is then come up with a strategic presentation to a set of judges, some of whom are industry practitioners, some of whom are academics, and some of whom might, might actually belong to the company whom the case is about, and present your strategy as to what you think the company should do to move forward and what strategic decisions the company should make. And so. I got to participate in, I think, a couple domestically in in Canada and, uh, sorry, in Toronto and Montreal, as well as some internationally in Hong Kong, in Sydney, Australia, in Auckland, New Zealand. Um, And I think there's one more that I'm forgetting. But yeah, those are the the major ones. And uh, for me, I think the things that I learned from them were, number one, the ability to think on your feet. So oftentimes you're like asked by a judge a really difficult question and you have to come up with uh as i joke with my my parents some loss, like mm-hmm. something to like you know but like you know all jokes aside something to like actually something of substance to provide to them that you know can answer their questions so really what you're thinking about is how can you think of something uh, uh, think of a answer to a question on your feet i think the second thing it taught me was how to structure a story so so much of our lives especially our corporate lives are telling stories right so how do you tell a story in a way that has um a clear line of sight that has a clear let's say problem solution impact that has clear um line of thinking around how you came up with your solutions and i think the final thing i would say is it just taught me how to keep cool under pressure because those are really high pressure environments i mean i was competing with schools around the world we all were competitive type A type personalities, we all wanted to win. And so it really taught me, how do you work with a team and and keep calm under pressure, right? So there's some skill sets that, funny enough, I use every day now, right? Whether it's preparing a presentation, delivering a client pitch, um, or just being able to answer questions off my feet, I find a lot of the skills that I gain there are almost directly transferable to what I do day to day.
0: Pretty cool. So one of the reasons I was like, ah, oh, he did case competitions too. That's really cool. And right now he's working in AIML was because like when I was in college, I was a computer science and mathematics major, but mm-hmm. I would go to business classes and I would be the only STEM person in those business classes. And I also participated in a couple of case competitions. So, That's awesome. Yeah, there was an alignment in our journey. Like the difference was that you came from a business background and I came from a tech background. But I think that is a great message for people listening. Is that you don't really have to be just doing one thing. And like, mm-hmm. if you really want to succeed in tech, you actually need skills from all kinds of fields, especially in the business. Because if you are not generating value to the business, then you are of of no use.
1: Exactly, and mm-hmm. and 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 I, what I would say is that like. I, I rely strongly also on having folks who have those technical competencies right so mm-hmm. like you know folks who are who are able to understand uh, how to apply different machine learning techniques folks who have uh, deep technical experience it's extremely valuable what I've found is you know um, the the other skills of of storytelling uh, being able to connect what you do to value so working in in our industry for so long if you if you think about one of the biggest challenges in the industry is that use cases in AI are rarely operationalized, right? So I think I was reading a study from McKinsey that was talking about around approximately 35%, I believe, I might be getting the number off a bit, but 35% of use cases that are worked on are are, are um, operationalized. And that's a pretty paltry number if you think about it. That basically means that two-thirds of all the investment that goes into AI doesn't actually realize value, right? And so, at Alta and all the, the firm that, I'm working, that I work for, um, one of the things that we've really tried to focus on is incorporating things like connection to value. So what is the ROI or the potential impact? Um, understanding the workflows So, thinking about design thinking principles of how a machine learning solution will fit into a particular workflow. Um, and so we, we create uh, flow charts to kind of describe that. We create user journeys and personas to describe what a user what users' journey would look like before the, sh- the solution and after the solution. And we also think a lot about incorporating folks like product owners who are understanding the business value, the business impact, the product impact, the product pain points, and, and doing things like customer discovery so that we understand uh, if this is a pain point that's worth solving for, as well as bringing in folks like uh, folks in software to come in and talk about how do we embed it, right? And so all this is to say that, you know, in, in a technical context, especially in what we do, but really in a lot of different teams, you need a multifaceted team to succeed, right? You need the folks um, who have the deep technical experience. You need folks who can can help out with some of the the product thinking about what features should we work on and why. You need folks with some of that software experience. You need folks who have some of that business context, whether that be in sales or marketing or project management, right? And so what I would encourage listeners who are interested about going into tech Uh, about doing is is understanding that there's not just one path right and that even if if you're let's say someone who is is more technical and and wants to gain more business skill that's totally fine let's say you're someone who has a business background but wants to learn a little bit more about tech and maybe wants to pick up coding or maybe wants to learn more about um the business side of of tech that's that's fine as well right there's there's different pathways to this and, and i'd be open to those different pathways 100%
0: I'm gonna look up. I have more questions for you on my phone, so I'm gonna put it up real quick. Yeah, yeah, no worries (laughs) Uh So I want to talk more about our heritage being a Nepali (laughs) Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. of
0: course. So how was that transition for you initially when you moved to Canada? Like you said you were young, right? So tell us more about that. Have you like found a tech, tech, tech community in Canada too?
1: Yeah, so I was quite young. like you. Guys, I think I was two and a half when we left mm-hmm. um, and moved to the United States. And then five, almost six years old when we moved to Canada, mm-hmm. right? So my challenges are, are different than I think a first generation's immigrants are. So I've talked to folks who are, for sure, my parents would be considered a in my opinion, first generation, because they moved, um, I wasn't born here, but I was pretty much raised here, um, and so my challenges have been less about, I guess, navigating Canada as a newcomer, and more about understanding and blending my external world with my internal world, and so what I mean by that is, I grew up in Canada, but I'm in households in Nepalese, so, like, or, um, or, 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 and this school month, you have to talk in English and it's just like balancing whether it's balancing the culture, balancing the friend groups, balancing the languages. That was probably more of my issue growing up. Not issue, but more my story, where it was like um, having some sort of a connection to the Nepalese language, Nepalese food, the Nepalese holidays, culture, while also kind of growing up here in a very Canadian context, right? And so, uh, for example, like when it comes to things around work, because I, I almost rarely talk in in work mode in Nepali because I'm always with my parents. It's a lot easier for me to do it in English, right? But about I guess things related to the home, that's usually what I talk about with my parents or my family. It's easier for me to do it in Nepali, so.
0: Very cool, very cool. Most of our uh, our guests have been the ones who moved to the U.S. or like Canada after after they were older, like around 18 or 19. So you were the first yeah. one we had who moved out of the country at such a young age. <laughs>
1: yeah. I don't know like I was interview. I got a fear. It wasn't to talk about my career because I feel like I'm to die. I'm not Bilingual interview, Kalipuni oh. got so <laughs> <laughs> so Kalipuni like, my mom, you when the you call when the guy in my mom was on the phone right, interview, my Nepali, my board, like It's fine, it's practice. practice no,
0: you you coming out as very good at it. <laughs> oh, thank
1: you, thank <laughs> you. Okay, very good, good at good. it.
0: So trying to think of more questions. Usually, I'm the only host. So, like, I, I did not have a lot of time to tell people that you were coming, so did not get a lot of questions. But let's see what I have here.
1: What What about yourself? You said you. I was looking at your LinkedIn. You're in the Ohio area, is that right?
0: Yeah, I'm in the Ohio area. I moved to the U.S. in 2017 when I was like 18 years old. Nice. I moved here for my undergraduate studies on it is, but he, uh, bachelor's in math and computer science. Okay. Tisbati worked at worked at Ernest and Young for a year in oh. their legal services. On but right now I work for an electric company as a data analyst. Only I started Nepresent Tech I'm a Discord community of around like four hundred yeah. members. Only I started that around last summer. Mm. Because I realized that coming out of college, I was really lonely because it was hard to make friends. Now I uh-huh. have like around 450 friends on Discord, so which is really cool. Amazing, amazing.
1: Yeah. And it's a Slack community, it's a Slack community, it's interesting, like am I? a Slack channel side. The greater Nepalese diaspora, oh, greater yeah,
0: Nepalese that's, diaspora. Oh yeah, that's a different one. We kind of started at the same time, but we are more focused on tech. And the good thing is, we have people from all around the world like Canada, wow. yeah, France, Spain, and this with the US, Nepal, India. So, we are coming together. Yeah, which that's is,
1: awesome.
0: Yeah, which is really cool. We are coming together. <laughs> and
1: that's I don't awesome. know if
0: we will be able to create something together, but if your ideas pop up, you're going to suck in, you going to suck in. But, like, it's hard finding time with people to get mm-hmm. that done but still it is an interesting community so if you ever have any opportunities stake related how to or you can send it to me and I can send it to the discord channel too
1: yeah yeah 100 and and where's where's majority of you said across the world or majority of the people in the United States or
0: I would say United States I'll have to check it is either you either United States or either Nepal
1: yeah yeah so what I, what I'd say is um you know we are actually primarily in canada but we have a houston office and we're looking to grow our united states presence Mm -hmm. so if anyone is curious i'd recommend go to altml.com take a look at it in any open roles anything piques your interest what i can do is i'm happy to try to connect like try to you know um answer any questions about anything and if you're curious about anything i'm happy to happy to offer that we're trying to grow our presence in the united states as well um so for any of your listeners who might be curious about alt ml happy to help out there or just really curious about their careers in tech so happy to answer any questions or share my experience and would love to meet more people from the community as well so we'll be open to that
0: awesome so now that we have talked about like a general overview of what you do and your background and things like that i want to talk more about talk more about tech right what is it that you actually do at Alt-AML? What is the kind of work? How are you using AI and machine learning to create business? Yeah,
1: so great question. So um, I'll answer it first with what we do as a company, Mm -hmm. and then I'll get into what I do day to day. So the way I would describe it is, we still have those two sides of the business, Invent and Scale, right? So in Invent, we we'll work with organizations to identify AI use cases that might be of value uh, and take them through that entire AI lifecycle. Um, some examples that I can give you we've worked with uh, governments to create uh, for time series forecasting models, so um, models like a forecast into the future around the probability of wildfires occurring or the areas at which wildfires occur to, to kind of pre direct resources to help with wildfire suppression. we've done there's a really cool project you can look it up online it's called smart whales where essentially what we were doing was we were working with a variety of different partners um, the canadian space agency uh, hatfield consulting which is a local consulting consultancy and this is funded by the federal uh department of the federal government and what we did was we used computer vision technology to identify the presence of North Atlantic right whales in satellite imagery. So North Atlantic (coughs) right whales, context for for your listeners, are a highly endangered species. And so we use satellite imagery to identify the presence of North Atlantic right whales. And um, our hope is that uh, we can use this model when it's fully deployed to then inform ships of the North Atlantic, right, where it's location and, and kind of general movement patterns, so that they can avoid collisions and entanglement with fishing gear, as those are the two leading causes uh, of, uh, of death of the species, right? So those are, you know, two examples I can speak to. Um, I think one other example, we work with a, a, another computer vision example, we worked with a um, oil and gas uh, company where that had a whole bunch of, in their factories, they had a whole bunch of uh, fireproofing which is a, a type of material that you put in factories to prevent fires and that fireproofing often would um, I guess it would break down and we needed to they needed a more efficient and effective mechanism to identify where fireproofing was breaking down in a facility because right now they're doing a lot of physical inspections it just wasn't a very efficient process it was a very t- costly process so we worked together to identify um, areas where. were Highest likelihood of fireproofing breakage risk using computer vision and flag that all over their plant sites, and that has now allowed them to focus their inspections on those areas. Right, and so there's even like a UX UI that 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 exists that can kind of clearly tell what that is. I mean, those are some examples. I think one one other one I can give you is you know we worked in if you think about natural language processing, um, you know right now NLP is so popular in the world because of the the proliferation of LLMs uh around things like chat GPT three or or Bing. And when you think about it, a lot of that underlying technology in NLP can be used for a whole different variety of uh, mechanisms. One use case that I can talk about on our I guess the consultant side was we worked with a company who had over a decade of of material master data, right? And what we did was if you think about it, Material Master is kind of the the um it's a type of purchasing mechanism that companies have. And on that material master, there's a whole bunch of free text data that wasn't really clearly organized. And so it was difficult for, for that company to understand what exactly did they purchase over the past decade or so. Right. And so we did, you know, initial proof of concept that was focused on, okay, how do we um, extract clear categories um, or extract entities of interest? So, um, and, create clear categories to help decision makers understand what purchases were made. And uh, so that was an interesting one on the NLP side, I guess, if, for a couple of different examples. And the last thing I'll say is when we think about the, the venture side of our business, really what it is, is it's taking a look at a problem that's pervasive beyond one company, but as a problem for a broader industry and creating some sort of a uh, machine learning solution or a set of solutions that speak to that. So an example I can give you and um, is uh, it's a company called, it's a venture of ours called Jurisage AI. It's all about using the large language models that are kind of, not the specific ones, but that same type of LLM type technology uh, that's being used, you know, across the world right now and focusing on the, the field of case law research, right? So that, that company is focused on creating AI tools to improve the uh, speed and ability at which lawyers can conduct case law research and so they have a you know a whole bunch of different tools that almost act like browser extensions to to dramatically improve the speed at which you can do case law research find relevant case insights it's 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 quite fascinating what they're doing there
0: very cool when i talk with you i don't feel like i feel like i'm talking with someone who has spent like two decades in technology (laughs) and machine learning
1: I yeah I, I guess uh, it, you when you're around the fields as much as I am mm-hmm. you kind of you pick up a lot and so one thing I will say I think I didn't answer the second part of your question which is what I specifically do there yeah and yeah. so what I specifically do in business development is really um, we try to identify organizations be that governments or um, companies who we think might be a good fit to work for and so my job is to identify them reach out to them and work with our teams to, to, to see if there's value that can be gained, to see if they have challenges that may be addressed through, through machine learning. It could be a particular use case. It could be that they just have a ton of data and they want to find a way to turn it into actionable insights. It could be they have some experience in AI ML, but not seeing a return on their budget. It could be they have an under-resourced internal data science team and they need some support to help deliver on use cases. There's a whole wide variety of problems these companies could have. My job is to basically identify these companies, work with organizations to see if we can find uh, a way to work together. And once that deal is signed and we start, you know, uh, working in a commercial arrangement, we have a delivery team that takes over from there. And so my job is to basically find new, new prospects and work with them to become customers.
0: Very cool. Thank you for sharing that. It's very interesting. And I'm also kind of new in the field. I have been in the data analytics field for two years doing a little bit of machine learning too. So it's so it's really valuable for me to learn about your experience and see where I can be in a few years.
1: Yeah, no, hundred percent, hundred percent. And I think I think you're doing all the right things, right? Like with the you know top that you've already been at EY and you're you're doing this this new job here, so that's that's awesome. And oh, uh, data analytics is, is is direct. If you think about a lot of a lot of that machine learning stuff, that first step is is kind of data analytics, right? That's what mm-hmm. we build on top of, right? Yeah, yeah. So that's awesome that you're doing that already.
0: Yeah, thank you. So, a uh, little more personal question again: What is next for Uncle Pranit? Are you going to start your own consulting firm, or <laughs> and hire us, or what is next for you? What is your career plan?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. It's hard for me to answer because two years ago, two and a half years ago, I would never have been able to tell you who I was working in AI. Mm-hmm. You know, I thought I was going to continue working in digital marketing. Um, then a global pandemic happened, priorities changed, I landed this job, and I got into the AI world. Mm-hmm. And I'm extremely grateful for that. Like, I think when I think about things that I'm grateful for, one of the biggest things that I am grateful for is landing in the AI world when I did, given the growth in the field and just the amount of opportunities in the field. So really, I'm I'm still figuring that out, uh, along with maybe all your listeners. Um, mm-hmm. You know, right now, I'm really just focused on helping to grow Alta ML, We have a phenomenal opportunity here as an organization. We're, I think, the 13th or 14th fastest-growing company in Canada, uh-huh. right? Um, and, you know, we have a phenomenal opportunity here to grow in Canada, to grow in the United States, and, and beyond that. And I'm happy to be a part of that. I think, you know, we have a, a great team, and, I, and, I'm, and I'm enjoying that. Beyond that, I'm not sure. Well, I, I think we'll figure it out, you know, day by day. And just where my passions and my skills take me but uh as of right now i'm kind of just enjoying the ride
0: very cool good luck and anything that you are gonna try in the future
1: (laughs) thank you thank you so much i appreciate it Thank. um anything else that you guys are curious about
0: yeah yeah of course i do have one more question before i let you go so aginese when we talked about transitioning into tech you said like Mm -hmm. Business, I to to Malaysia, biology I to to You can come from different, you can come with different skill sets. So one of the things about our community is that a lot of us are beginners.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And since you being on, like you, you, you yourself are on a leadership level at your company, right? You have hold that position for almost two years. What are the tips that you have for newcomers in technology? Except for like believing in your skills, mm. how, how how do you think they can? How do you think they can be as successful as you?
1: <laughs> well, I don't know if I'm that successful. I, I
0: <laughs> you are successful. A, you just said you were working for like one of the fastest growing companies in Canada. <laughs> yeah,
1: I, I think I got lucky at the right place at the right time. But I'll t- I'll take it. I'll take it. I, I need <laughs> you to write my LinkedIn bio from here. But no, uh, jokes aside. Uh, what I would say is a couple of different things. One would be uh, finding mentors and folks who have done what you did mm-hmm. or what you want to do and learning about what paths they took. Maybe they took particular courses, maybe they took particular programs. So, you know, at AltaML, for example, one of the things that we offer um, in Calgary, in the city of Calgary, uh, as well as we also have one with uh, the government of Alberta are these talent accelerators, which are basically opportunities for, we have partner organizations that we work with. You know, at this, I'll, I'll use the one at the, the City of Calgary, for example, it's called the Applied AI Lab. We have four partners, um, Suncor, Transalta, Spartan Controls, and ATB Financial. Your listeners might not know them, but they're they're quite uh, large enterprise type corporations in, in Alberta, which is a province in Canada. And what we've done there is we've created a program where mid-career kind of everyone from fresh grads to mid-career professionals go there to receive targeted um, uh, almost training in uh, machine learning techniques so there's an expectation that there's a level of technical competencies to start but they receive targeted techniques and, and training and how to apply that in an applied machine learning context and we help them uh work on use cases they're paired with the tech lead they're paired with other staff members who help them work on use cases oh, use no, and so i'm bringing this up in our context but the reason i bring it up is i would try to find as many ways to get um know, practical experience is possible. Maybe that's internships. Maybe that's, um, you know, I know that in the data science community, uh, there is uh, ways to work on practical case studies. Um, uh, so if you can work on case studies, that, that's also valuable. Um, so mentorships, I think, is really valuable. So finding the right the right mentors is, is, is valuable. And then I think the third thing is being flexible to... Um, To jobs that might not necessarily be what you eventually want to do but you know you'll get a skill and i'll share my example of you know when i got a job as you know in grants i wasn't sure if i wanted to write grants forever like i wasn't thinking like that i was just thinking look this is a a great way for me to
0: uh
1: kind of put get my foot into this company learn a lot of great skills um improve as a writer improve my ability to just reason and, and have uh, put together really cogent arguments and so that's what really drew me to that position and it ended up being actually you know despite me going to another position it ended up being such a great opportunity and such a great experience for me And i learned so much right mm-hmm. so what i'd say just to, to kind of close is um find mentors who've done what you want to do reach out to them uh, Be be pesky if you need to be um and kind of build those relationships um try to get as much practical experience as possible that a, you know might be uh, just doing data science case studies online, that might be trying to join some sort of applied AI kind of thing, or it might, be, you know, you, you might not want to get into data science, just some sort of internship experience, or, or a career experience is always valuable. And then um, the last thing I'd say is like, be open to positions that are a little bit different from what you eventually want to do. Because everything that you do is a stepping stone, right? Everything that you do, you're gaining skills, and you're gaining competencies that can help you tell your, I guess, professional story.
0: Awesome. Thank you so much for sharing that. That's definitely going to be valuable to a lot of our listeners. So I have one final question to you, and this is my favorite question. <laughs> so if yeah. any of our viewers have any questions or, or would love to be mentored by you, is it okay for them to reach out to you on LinkedIn?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So I'll, I'll give you my LinkedIn. Um, you They're welcome to reach out to me on, on LinkedIn. Uh, and that's probably the easiest way to reach mm-hmm. me. So I check my LinkedIn quite often. So, Feel free to reach out to them, LinkedIn. I'm happy to kind of provide any of my insights or any of my experiences or help out any way possible.
0: Awesome! It was great having you. Thank you so much. I'm gonna like, let you go early. <laughs> cool. Awesome. Yeah. yeah. yeah thank you right. so much for everything. I'm gonna. Uh, we're gonna upload the rec- uh, upload the podcast on our YouTube channel, cool. and we will see. Is the
1: is the recording done here, or are you still on the recording?
0: I still have the recording going on.
1: Okay, cool. I, I just had a couple questions after. Is that okay?
0: Yeah, yeah. I can stop the recording.